Samad, stop it. I'm in my prayers, sir. Get up. Sir. If I'm able to reconcile dialectical materialism and Allah, isn't that my business? Why do you not trust me, sir? You know I'm a member of the party. My son is in the cultural exchange in Moscow, sir. Do you think I would compromise my son? I said get up. See how deep the river is. How, sir? Walk in it. You don't need that. Like ice, sir. I didn't ask for the temperature. Is the bottom mud or stone? Stone. up because this time your insubordination is going to get you a court martial so will killing your own men sir you are listening to they must be destroyed on site the following podcast contains adult language adult situations and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often you've been warned now Take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 240. And I'm your host, Lee. Out of commission, become a pillbox. Out of ammo, become a bunker, Russell. And I am joined by my intrepid co-host, Lee. Incredibly civilized, Hardy. How are you doing, ma'am? <laughs> I wish I was civilized. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I can eat my food properly, though, like knife and fork. That was mm-hmm. the one thing growing up with... Um, uh, a dad from England, he had like all the proper etiquette with like knife and fork. Oh yeah. So if I didn't do it properly, it was like, "What are you doing? You're not a slob." <laughs> <laughs> was he even like? Was he even like a stickler for where the knife and fork were placed next to the plates? Or that wasn't so bad. He would no. say what had to be, but it was mostly just how you held your utensils that really irked him. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, so we're going to be doing a interesting one. It's it's a bit of a downer of a film, to be quite honest. But uh, I think it's it's. I think, I think it's I think it's interesting to talk about. Um, and this yes. is this is a long ago request uh, from Nick Patacio. He's requested this twice now. He he first came like years ago on one of the YouTube versions of one of our films uh that we did um he's like you should check this film out i was like okay we'll put that in the master list and i did and we didn't get to it for a while because we sort of started our uh let's start in the 1900s project and go through the decades kind of thing so that took up a lot of our time and then he uh messaged me on instagram uh like you want to check this movie out? Like he actually had forgotten that he had asked before, I guess uh, it had been so or did he? Was he just being very politely reminding you? Maybe could have been that, <laughs> could have been that too, but, but either way, we, we eventually do get to requests. Uh, it, it just happens that, you know, this podcast is we do whatever the fuck we want kind of thing. So we will get to your requests. It just, sometimes it might take us a while. That's that's the thing, but uh, <laughs> you may not listen to us anymore. But we'll get to it. <laughs> no, I, I I I do know. I do. I can confirm that. I can confirm that Nick is at, at the very least. He's he's a member of the Facebook group, and there we go. Uh, and he even messaged me tonight on Instagram saying, "Hope you enjoyed the movie." Yada yada yada. So he he knows we're doing it. So uh, there we go, Nick. We we finally got to it. Sorry it took so long, but uh, <laughs> I did promise him we'd get it done sometime this summer. And this is literally the last week of the summer, basically. So uh, well, summer ends like two weeks in September, I think it is, because I'm a set summer baby. Even though mm. that's arguably not the case, but if you go by calendar date, I'm a summer baby. Well, e- either way, we we got it done. So uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about it tonight. So there you go, Nick. Uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. Um, and he also provided me with like some really uh, good links to like some interviews from both the director and the writer of this. So uh, gave me a bit more insight in what was going on in the movie. So uh, thank you very much, Nick, for that as well. Uh, really helped with uh, the viewing of this and uh, sort of putting my notes together and stuff. So it was pretty good. Um, shared them. Jeez. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I actually, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm a bad host. You, you just point out what a bad host like, I am. Do you know what it's about or anything? You just like threw me in there. Just sink or swim moment. <laughs> I got this though. It's okay. 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 Cool. So before we get to that, uh, we'll talk about what we watched in the last little while. I'll throw over to you first. All right. So, um, as I mentioned before, I uh, attempted to watch uh, Father of the Bride, and I watched the first 10 minutes, and mm-hmm. I got so angry. <laughs> I turned it off. It was just, I don't know, there were so many, I don't think it aged very well, because there were so many comments that were made, and there were so many situations where I just, I couldn't do it. I honestly couldn't do it. I, I, I don't know what bugged me so much. I think it was the talk about the girl being like anti-marriage and then mm-hmm. she's 22 and she's like, he changed my mind. And it just, I don't know, like that irked me. And then mm-hmm. the whole idea of being so happy to be a missus when I'm so anti that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a really bad movie for me to watch. Like if, if you know me <laughs> or anything, I had, those are the movies that I cannot do. Like they're supposed to be these cute family, like romantic movie, whatever's like comedies and I cannot do it. I cannot do it. I think it's just a lot of archaic traditions that just need to die that Mm -hmm. are like emphasized in these. I agree. They do push sort of like traditional uh, quote unquote values 
okay, goofy comedy aside or whatever. I mean, if, if you're into just being a wife, you know, yeah. and being a missus or whatever, that's that's cool. But like, it shouldn't mm-hmm. be it shouldn't be the prevalent thing that's promoted in society. I totally agree. Like, it should it should, it should be the idea that you have your choice. Yeah. Of is what of what you want to do when you get married. If even if you want to be fucking married, if you don't want yeah. to officially be married, that's another thing. It's it's uh, very much something that should be left to the past, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Same with like taking the last name. Like I'm super anti it, but I know mm-hmm. a lot of my friends were very excited about uh, when they got married to have the husband's last name. That's fine. I can totally mm-hmm. respect that. But me personally, I can't fucking stand it. It's just one of those traditions that I absolutely hate. I think it's, it just, it just needs to go away. Like it just needs to be more accepted that it's a conversation with the husband and the wife. Well, I guess in this situation, like a male, female couple to decide whose last name you're taking. If you want to take the last name, if you want to make up a new last name, if you want to keep your own name, like it's, it's something that should be a normal conversation. It shouldn't something like an expected thing. Yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't be, you know, oh, I'm going to marry this person. And then your parents are like, well, she's taking your last name, right? Like Mm -hmm. that that shouldn't be part of the conversation. Like, like, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Yeah. Like, I remember um, I worked at, I'm not going to say where. Anyways, I work somewhere. And um, I asked all the males if they'd be willing to take the female's last name. And there was a a good amount. I think I asked, I can't remember. Ten or fifteen guys, mm-hmm. and I had two people. One who said no because I wouldn't take her, or I wouldn't let her change her last name either. So he was completely anti-changing name in general. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, three, and then I had two others that said yes, I would be willing to. The rest said absolutely not, or tried to make excuses as to why they wouldn't. Like they avoided the question, <laughs> or the fact that they're like, "Well, I am married, and Sherry took my last name," and I'm like, "That's not the question. That's yeah. not the question I asked." But yeah, they all were like hard nos. So it just shows you. I know it's something simple, so simple to some people, but it just makes me so angry. So watching this kind of movie, bad idea. I didn't watch it. I watched Flubber instead, and I'm happy I did that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, I have one I'll mention. Uh, Again, just my continuing journey on like, hey, anything Shudder throws at me, I'm probably going to watch. I watched this one called Dave Made a Maze from 2017. And I quite like this, and I think you would like this a lot as well. I need um, to jump on the whole Shutter thing. I pay for it, and I probably watch like two movies a year. Mm-hmm. It's so stupid. I need to. I need to. They've been a list, uh, and I will start watching them. They've they've really upped their game. Like, there's so much good stuff on Shutter now. You know, the joke for years was Shutter had five movies. Yeah. But now they they're like dumping like. 10 movies every month like new uh, on on us and it's really pretty fucking good you know the the quality is I'd, I'd say the quality now there is way better than Netflix as far as like new stuff every every week or every two weeks or whatever it's generally everything Shutter kind of drops on now is pretty fucking good this is really good uh, this is about this sort of like struggling introverted artist living in his apartment and like he's his newest project is he's just kind of like locked himself in his apartment. He, he's made this cardboard maze. He's made like a cardboard labyrinth. It's like a self-contained cardboard fort almost labyrinth thing. And his girlfriend comes over 
his long-suffering girlfriend is like, when is this guy going to fucking, you know, get his life in order? And he is inside this. And so she's like, are you going to come out? He's like, I can't come out. I'm stuck in the maze. I'm lost. The size of it is kind of the middle floor space in my room kind of thing. Like, it's not super big, <laughs> but it, it, it's just like it, it looks big enough to hold one adult human. Right. Basically. And, and so she's like, what are you doing there? And she's he's like, I'm stuck. And she's like, OK, so she calls over his best friend, this long suffering guy. He's the guy. Who pl- this is this just will this will strike with you. The guy who played Warren in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the the incel, oh, creepy boyfriend yeah. guy, yeah, oh, yeah, plays <laughs> plays plays a totally different character in this. By the way, it's like I was I was wondering like where have I seen this motherfucker? Because he's really good and he's really likable. And I was like, oh wait, he's that total fucking dickbag from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, who's like a total shithead and that you just want to see die. Um, he doesn't die. <laughs> well, he eventually does. He gets his he gets his skin pulled off by Willow in like what season seven mm. or some shit. But yeah, sorry, he does. Yes, I yeah, yeah. Of which, but yeah. But uh, oh man, I gotta rewatch some Buffy. <laughs> anyway, so they decide. Okay, we're gonna go in and we're gonna come and get you, basically. And they start to realize that even though he, you know they can't see inside the maze, he tells them it's bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they they start to realize he might be telling the truth here. So they invite a bunch of their friends over and some like random people. Like there's these like Finnish tourists that show up. Like it, it's it's a horror comedy basically. So there's some there's some random nonsense and stuff going on. They invite like a homeless guy over as well. And there's like this whole party around this fucking fort as they're deciding like should we go in? And then eventually a bunch of them do go in. And they discovered that, yes, indeed, it's a labyrinth that is fucking way bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. And it's deadly. People. David Bowie at the end? No. <laughs> I wish. I wish there was a David Bowie. But, but it's, it's basically like the labyrinth is taken on its own, like, sentience. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's an actual, like, manifestation of some sort of entity. And... So you go inside and reality changes where if you get killed, uh, you don't spurt blood. You spurt like fucking like paper mache, red paper mache or some shit like that. Like it, it's, it's very interesting. The effects they do in this, like some people get horribly killed in this and they and the, instead of blood, it's like fucking uh, paper mache confetti kind of stuff. And there's some really inventive set pieces in it. It is fucking crazy but it's so inventive it's so well done it, it's obviously like a really kind of cheap movie and they make the most of everything they use in it and i thought it was really fucking good like like they take a film crew in with them as they're uh trying to find him and shit so like they, they have this like pretentious director of the film crew who wants to get all the footage and, and do a documentary on him inside his maze and shit and that's so cool it's it's really, really fucking enjoyable. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. So yeah. I love having to. Wow, I'll definitely have to watch it. Mm. We should just do it for a date night. Probably that's probably the, the thing we'll do. There we go. And we yeah, both yeah. Shutter, so it's, a, it's it's perfect. Yeah, uh, let's just see if Discord will allow me to stream Shutter. That that'll be interesting to see. Mm. That's true. Okay, so uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and then we're gonna come back, and we're gonna talk about the Beast of War. 
from 1988. And uh, I don't know about you, Lee, but I think... We got this, man. We got this by the ass. All right. Perfect, baby. Perfect. You ungodly warlock. Broadcasting from the Cursed Earth, the Psycho-Semantic Ast. Let us face without panic the reality of our time. The fact that atom bombs may someday be dropped on our cities. And let us prepare for survival by understanding the weapon that threatens us. To have a, uh, an ignorant, uh, thin-skinned megalomaniac uh, who sends off quitters uh, at 3 a.m. if somebody angered him. The neo-Nazis turning up in Washington, D.C. to have a rally saying, Heil Trump. We talk about politics. I knew I couldn't trust you corporate grease balls. We talk about movies. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? If that's police harassment. We talk about political movies. We're in trouble. The whole world's in trouble. They're all around us and we never knew them. You can only see them with these special glasses. The Psycho-Semanticast. You ungodly warlock.
right, we have The Beast of War from 1988, also known as The Beast, and we have a trailer. Ooh. You ungodly warlock. That was in the trailer. I pressed the wrong button. <laughs> no. Konstantin Kovarchenko is a Russian soldier. He's fighting a war he does not believe in. Put him under the track. Under a commander he cannot trust. In a machine his enemies call the Beast. When the old man gets on your back, there's no way to shake him off. He's torn between following orders. Take him out as a traitor. And following his conscience. Shut up! This time your insubordination is going to get you a court martial. Someone killing your own men, sir! Hang that rock! Columbia Pictures presents The Beast of War. All right, The Beast of War. This is directed by Kevin Reynolds, who started out with a film that was actually like helped by Steven Spielberg to get off the ground. Like it was a remake of his student film. Uh, called Fandango, uh, and that had uh, Kevin Kevin Costner in it, and it's like some, it's 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 a, like a coming coming of age film of like a bunch of uh, friends who are about to be drafted to Vietnam or whatever, and they have like a fucking weekend of fun or whatever the shit to mm-hmm. before that, and there was a lot of movies like that back in back in the day, like in the seventies and eighties, kind of like talking about Vietnam and shit, which uh, kind of fits into this film in, in certain ways. He also did a bunch of movies people have heard of. Some of them are kind of critical flops. Uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves with Kevin Costner. Again, like he worked with Kevin Costner a few times here. He did Waterworld, which... Ooh. And you know, people think Waterworld was a flop. It actually wasn't a flop. It made money. I enjoyed that movie. I was a kid when I watched it, though. I, mm. I did enjoy it. Like I don't think Waterworld's super great or anything, but like it, 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 it's more got the reputation of being a flop because it was the like at the time the most expensive movie ever made or some shit, and it didn't like make billions of dollars. It, it just made a bit of like a brief profit, like a, a bit of a profit or whatever. I think um, he also made one eight seven, which I think is a Samuel L. Jackson as a teacher in Los Angeles movie kind of thing, and like one eight seven is like the police code for murder or whatever I think uh, <laughs> don't, don't quote me on that one uh, and The Count of Monte Cristo uh, this is written by William Mastro Simone probably Simone uh, yay Simone? I don't know don't yeah uh, he's a I playwright um, he, he's done he's done some writing for movies and TV uh he this is basically based on his experiences in Vietnam. He wrote a play based basically or not Vietnam, Af- Afghanistan. Again, I said Vietnam, uh, which 
We'll Makes get into worse. it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he, when he was younger, like in his 30s, he decided, I got to go to Afghanistan and see what the fuck's going on during this conflict between, you know, the Russian invasion of Afghanistan, which is what this is uh, set in. Uh, he, by hook or by crook, found his way and got to like Pakistan and then got like shuttled into Afghanistan and actually got hooked up with some uh, Mujahideen uh, uh, guerrillas was basically in the middle of the war with these people. And apparently they wanted to use him for some propaganda purposes and stuff. And at some point kind of left him for dead and he got found by some villagers and, and saved and came back from this conflict eventually and sort of wrote this. Uh, wow. Yeah. So he was actually in this shit. And you, you kind of think like the Jason Patrick character here is kind of a stand in for him to a certain extent. Uh, like he, he wasn't hunting down tanks with an RPG or anything like that, but he did get to see the sort of Afghani culture firsthand and see the, like not only just the conflicts between the Afghanis and the Russians, but just the internal conflicts between the actual Afghani people as well kind of things. So, um, and I think a lot of that actually does really come out in this movie. We have uh, starring here, George uh, does. I always have trouble trying to pronounce his fucking name. I don't know if some disease are fucking silent or not. Uh, I just say George Dunza as Daskal. Dunza? Um, yeah, that's, yeah, I don't know either. I had the uh, Italian ones the other time. This one, I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Jason Pat- Patrick is Konstantin Kovarchenko. Stephen Bauer is Contage, I guess. Uh, Stephen Baldwin, one of the Baldwin brothers in this. Uh, yeah, Stephen Baldwin is Anthony uh, Golikov. Don Harvey is uh, Kaminsky, uh, Kaber Betty as Akbar, Eric Avari as Samad, uh, Shavin Jaffrey as Mustafa, uh, Shoshi Marchino as uh, Serena, um, Yitzhak Niaman as Iskandar, and David Sorel as uh, Kovalov. And we have a synopsis here. Uh, Afghanistan, 1981, and the Soviet Union is locked in a futile and bloody battle with the Mujahideen. Separated from their patrol after a vicious attack in the, of an Afghani village, a T-62 tank engages in a deadly game of cat and mouse with the local uh, Mujahid, led by the Afghan Taj. The tyrannical and increasingly unstable tank commander Daskal pushes the moral boundaries of the tank driver Konstantin Kovarchenko to the limits, with almost dire consequences. Sensing a mutiny, Daskal abandons Kovarchenko to die in the desert at the hands of the Afghans, only to find that he's sealed his own fate. And that's from Kova2 at travel.to on IMDb. The, uh, the storied uh, synopsis writer of uh, IMDb, Kova2 at travel.to. Sure. Um, <laughs> but no, that's, that's actually a... Decent little synopsis, definitely decent back of the fucking box synopsis. If you were like renting this or buying it like that, that kind of works. This, this is the first time for both of us. And I will throw over to you first, uh, Lee. What are, what are your sort of general thoughts on this one? I was not expecting this. Like I was telling uh, you before we started, Mm -hmm. I was honestly expecting something that was like funny and ridiculous and everything. So (laughs) 
as soon as I saw the website and I saw everything, I was like, Oh my goodness, I'm in for a trip. And, uh, it was heavy. It was absolutely heavy. Uh, regardless though, I am happy that I watched it. These are the kind of movies that kind of like open up your eyes to a lot of things that you never really think of or never hear of. Mm-hmm. So, uh, definitely glad I watched it and, uh, I did enjoy it. It was a good movie. Just to put context on people, uh, listening here who may have not, may have not watched it yet. So, you know, this is this is one of the many sort of like proxy wars between Cold War powers back in the day uh, in Afghanistan. So there was like a communist government that came to power in Afghanistan in like the late 70s, I believe. And the Soviet Union decided to back them. And the problem is, is that Afghanistan, like 80 percent of it is just like barren desert that. The like the centralized powers of Afghanistan have no fucking control over. So they were like, okay, we're going to invade Afghanistan and we're going to like, you know, subjugate the entire countryside. And it didn't work out for them. It lasted nine years. Uh, It expended a lot of lives on both sides, Uh, a lot of manpower, a lot of military equipment, a lot of logistics, everything were just like kind of thrown into this. And Mm-hmm. And money, and it, at the end, it kind of became Soviet Union's uh, Vietnam, because really the Soviet Union kind of dissolved shortly after this was kind of resolved. Like you had Gorbachev coming to power, who was like putting reforms in and trying to be, uh, you know, trying to make the Soviet Union more Westernized, quote unquote, and try to you know make peace uh, to a certain extent. And this was kind of like the last kind of big war that exhausted the Soviet Union's power. And um, so I was really surprised by how fucking serious and deep this movie was. I think, I think the the thing here is you go into this and it's 1988, you're expecting Rambo three. And this movie was kind of buried by the uh, producers in the studios. Uh, So this was not released widely like uh, Columbia pictures who was responsible for this. They released the movie in two theaters in New York and Los Angeles and only ran it for a few weeks and then it just withered away and died. They just wrote it off basically. But I really Mm -hmm. like this. Like it, it, it's it's super fucking serious about what it's talking about. It works as like a psychological kind of war movie. Like you, you have the push and pull between the tank commander and our sort of uh, deserter here who, who, who wants to mutiny and the stuff he sees happens to like, and he just, does too. Yeah. Like this, just a local, like, this this movie is very much big on like the evils of imperialism, like you see the init- the initial attack by the Russian tank, uh, like a bunch of Russian tanks come up to this Afghan village, and yes, you you can see that there's Afghani's they have guns and stuff because they're used to being fucking attacked, like the 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 history of that country for like thousands of years is uh, invading armies come in and across us or occupy us. Because uh, Afghanistan is like literally in the middle of everything. It's like it's it's a part of the Middle East. It's fucking right in the middle between Europe and Asia, basically. You know, it's one of those countries that's very strategically important for imperialist powers. So the Russians here, they're going into this village. They poison wells. They kill livestock. They destroy 
whatever fucking meager, yeah, it, whatever meager infrastructure these people have. I'm not trying to insult Afghanis here when I say this, but like they're kind of living in almost the Stone Age here. With, they with live the, in like a very minimalist fashion. Yeah, it's it's not even like technology wise is not even really up to like the middle ages in Europe or anything like it's somewhere before that kind of thing. And that's kind of a thing they've just always just kind of done. And, you know, you know, more power to them. If, if they don't need to fucking get past that, then that's fine. It, it just so happens, you know, they have these invading armies fucking their shit up. Yeah. Which, how can you big, evolve? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they destroy this entire village. They kill a bunch of people. They shoot all their livestock. Like I said, they poison their fucking wells which is a big plot point, actually, that comes back time after time, like poisoning of water holes and stuff mm-hmm. like that, you know. And this tank commander, Daskal, is just a straight-up fucking monster. Uh, we we get a really kind of... A scene that made me fucking squirm, and I'm like a horror movie fan and shit, but where they put, like, the one guy who seems like he's maybe connected to the rebels and defending and fighting back against the uh, Soviet forces... He's the guy who's got, like, the uh, anti-tank weapon up on the hill when the tanks come in, and he tries to shoot at one of the tanks and take it out, right? And they catch him, and they put him under the fucking tank treads and run him over. And Oh, I couldn't... I had a hard time watching that. That was fucking gross. Like, they don't show the entire thing of him being run over, but they show the start of it where the tank treads go over his feet, and his feet, like, collapse, you know? And that was enough. And they showed like, the after when the, I think it was the wife. Oh, yeah. They, they show the after where he's just, Switched. he's, it's not a, it's not even a body anymore. Like there's, there's no, he's just like fucking crunched up, like fucking jello in the dirt, basically. He's actually like, he's taken the form of the tire tread tracks of the, of the fucking tank, basically. Right. It's, uh, but that, like you said, the, um, the guy who uh, made this or wrote this, mm-hmm. like, this is his story or a, like kind of his story of what he saw. So guaranteed, this is like just the tip of the iceberg of the shit that he saw. Mm. So like in the, in the interview I was reading, so he talks about how uh, they, the, the Afghanis did a ambush on a uh, Soviet tank column. And this is something that they do to this day to even like American tank columns. You know, the, the irony, the Americans helped uh, the Mujahideen during this conflict. Like the CIA was actively trying to get arms and stuff to these people and help them and trying in secret to help them like uh, fuck with the Soviets at every fucking turn that they could. But, you know, now we're at the point where it's Afghanistan is no longer so, so viable for our, our fucking interests, apparently, you know, I say our interests, but, you know, like fucking North American interests, basically. And now we're leaving them behind to be overthrown by another fucking bunch of shitty repressive fucks. But, and what was this saying here? Fucking. Oh, the, what he witnessed. Attack yeah. the village. He was with the group that attacked this fucking Soviet tank column. And what they did is they set up explosives to detonate the lead and last tank. So uh, it, it, you know, blew those both up and sort of boxed the other tanks in. And then they would like a bunch of them would rush the middle tanks in the column 
and just, you know, assault them and take prisoners. And apparently they took a bunch of prisoners and he was asked by sort of the Afghanis that were handling him, interview these prisoners. And so he realized that these prisoners were going to be killed and that the longer he prolonged the interviews, the longer these people would live. And he realized like the, you know, the, the fucking reality of that situation to the point where eventually he was asked to leave or basically, you know, you, you need to get the fuck out of here. And his, as he was walking away, they gunned all these people down. And so he, he kind of realized right there, like, I can't be here anymore kind of thing. And like, I, I am in the wrong place. And, you know, his story went from there. But yeah, everything in here is just brutal. It's fucking brutal. Uh, so you, you, you have this uh, young guy come back to his town who, who becomes the new con or he's looking to become the new con of his of his village, basically. And he goes on this revenge quest to take this tank down because this tank gets separated from its column. And so they decide to hunt them down. And we have Jason Patrick is Konstantin Kovachenko. He's he's the guy who's questioning uh, Daskal's uh, orders. And he eventually gets left behind, tied to a rock to be killed. You know, he befriends the um, the Afghani that's in his tank crew, right? Like he he was he was the only guy who treated him with any fucking respect, and mm-hmm. and they were and they were kind of friends. And so he learned a bit of his culture, Samad's culture, before he was you know gunned down and killed by. Um, Daskal, who you know was always suspicious of him, like he's, he's given racist. That's, that's he's, just he's a racist. Yes, he, he's he's given he's given him dirty looks from the beginning of the movie. He's given him dirty looks in the tank. Like, like he's there was like, nothing to lead that he had anything to do with anything, mm-hmm. especially when the attack happened, and he blamed him for the attack when it was just a bunch of fucking deers. Yeah. So. Firstly, like I'm not sure how he'd be able to communicate with the rest of the the Afghanis, and secondly, um, like he mentioned, like why would I put you guys at stake when my son's life would be at risk? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the big thing. I know at the beginning they call him a traitor, but it kind of obvious why he took the side because his son is uh, an exchange student in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, I'm just going to say this really quick before I forget. It is hilarious that none of the uh, actors that are portraying the Russian military are Russian. Like, they don't even have a Russian accent. That <laughs> was straight up American. <laughs> that, was, that, that was intentional, too. Um, the, the choice of uh, casting Americans doing American accents was to give a more sort of direct like analogous connection to Vietnam, basically like it was trying to put you in the mindset of Americans in Vietnam was, it was kind oh, of okay. the, the, the idea there. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty, it is, it is pretty glaring. Like the first, I don't know, like 15 minutes of the film or something like that. But after a while you, you don't care anymore. Right. Like you kind of, it, it just, it's, it's all right. I, it's, it bugged me the whole way through. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Every time I saw Russia and anything Russian, I'm like, they're not Russian. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I was came. everything. I was, I was, I was getting angry at that. <laughs> I was, <laughs> I was, I, now. I, I was going to take it over, you know, cause here's the thing. I didn't think they were ever going to like hire a bunch of Russian actors for this. That's way better than me trying to hear a bunch of American actors and name American actors that people know. 
trying to do shitty Russian accents. I think I that would have been also insulting to Russians if they like did. It took a bunch of actors to try and do Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I I do get it. I totally understand. It's just me personally. It was something that did bug me. I look at it the same way as like um, British war movies. Uh, whenever you see like a, like a British war movie, especially from like the sixties and seventies, and you know some some of the British actors are going to play Nazis. Yeah, the Nazis all have British accents, or the or the French are always British. <laughs> <laughs> That's one I always kind of laughed at too. Every time I watched a movie where it was uh, made in France, or it, or sorry, like the story was in France, or um, the the actors are supposed to be French and they all had English accents. Anyone was better it was like the fake English accents to match the other people's accents. And you're like, aren't you French? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's. Again, one of those things that fucks. It just bugs me. Yeah, it, no, it's takes, it kind of takes you out of it. I understand in this situation it'd be a lot more difficult to kind of get Russians to do mm-hmm. the Russian part. So I can't be as mad. And also with like budget and limit of like who you know and like all the kind of stuff. Because even the actors they used for like uh, anyone from Afghanistan, if you read their backgrounds, like I think uh, I know I read one was from Cuba, one was from yeah. Israel. There were there was yeah. there was some uh, there was some Afghani brown face stuff going on like, yeah. to a certain extent, but again, I mean, limited to what you have, limited to who you know, and limited to like what casting is available. So it's not. Yeah, I I mean to be fair, I think they did a really fucking good job because this feels like you know as far as like a disconnected fucking viewer you know that I am who's you know never seen war face to face and definitely never saw yeah. this war up front you know it feels authentic that's one of the things i like about this a lot is like it's not a bullshit action movie with a bunch of just stupid shit that doesn't yeah. make sense like this tank is slowly dying as they run you know like it's it's bleeding out oil it's running out of fuel it's running out of ammo and they they kind of stick to that. They keep it super realistic that way. And so it's like this desperate battle between this dying tank and this little group of dudes. And who the are captain trying- who mm-hmm. or the leader uh, who is desperately trying to, to finish this uh, mission with his tank. Like the yeah. pride of like trying to get it there. Cause the guy is like, so proud that this tank has been through everything that he refuses to accept the fact that it's dead and which kind of led to the whole instant with the the watering hole because mm-hmm. when they met up with the helicopter and the helicopter was going to take him home um the pilot or the people on the helicopter would have lived had they taken the tankers with them yeah because then they could have been like, no, sorry, we poisoned that. You can't drink that water. Yeah. This is a guy whose entire life has been war. Like he had at one point, he, he talks about how he was a child in Stalingrad blowing up Nazi tanks. Like he was a guy who was lowered down to drop grenades on top of Nazi tanks and destroy them. And then he became a tanker himself in the Soviet army and did like campaigns in Mongolia and shit like that. Uh, so like he, his, his, his whole life has been skewered by this and he's become basically just this fucking psychopath. A ball uh, of hate. 
yeah, he's he's just a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and so, you know, racist piece of shit, like the Afghani tank guy here, Samad, he pays for being a super progressive in Afghani. Like he talks about how he thinks, you know, Afghanistan needs to come into the 20th century if it's going to, you know, get anywhere. Like if, if it's going to knock off the shackles of oppression from imperialism, we need to fucking progress and get out of this. And this movie doesn't go deep into it, but it touches on sort of the internal politics of Afghanistan, how like there there's this push pull between modernization and sort of more rural, religious, fundamentalist way of living. And it's it's weird because you can kind of see good guys on both sides of this. Like it's yeah. very shades of gray because, yeah. you know, you have empathy for the Afghani, you know, the rural Afghani villagers because they're just trying to live their fucking lives and they're getting rolled over literally by tanks. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, you can really feel for Samad because he wants to see Afghanistan come into the modern age and be more civilized quote unquote and and, just, and and be independent like he believes in the sort of communist ideals of like socialism and, and such right? like he, he ble- at least believes the lies that you know the at the time communist government were throwing out there like you know their, their brand of socialism wasn't really socialism so much as it was uh kind of a despotism under he believed that. in the better like he believed he, he did he, he he believed on you know he and he was also still like a religious guy like you, you see that scene where he's he's going to pray and you know daskal tells him you know get the fuck up like what, what are you doing and um there's there's some really good you know just really good small personal moments in this i i think also i should applaud this film because it does sort of highlight the Afghani women. Yes. I wanted to bring it, that up too. Yeah. Yeah. In, in this, you know, in this, uh, for better or for worse, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm as, as much as I kind of, yeah. Empathize with, uh, the Afghanis as far as, you know, their, their struggle against imperialist powers. I'm never going to side with like the religious beliefs. Yeah. Especially cause you know, the, the, how oppressive they are to women. Like there's a couple scenes here where the women are this shit upon like uh, initially, you know, the main woman in this, she comes up to the new guy who's, you know, he's going to be the new con of the village or whatever after his brother has died. And uh, she's like, I saw it happen. He was my husband. He got run over by the fucking tank and she has the RPG that they confiscated. And he's like, and she's like, I will help you fucking hunt these people down and kill them. And then a guy from the uh, Muhajin, who's like a cousin of the, the Khan guy. And this is like, this is the eternal conflict between the Afghanis here, where it's like, there's different factions who have different ideas of what fucking Afghanis should do in this situation, even if they're still fighting the Russians. Uh, he's like, he, he grabs the RPG from her. It's like, give me that bitch, basically. Yeah, and it's just like you—you you, you see how dismissed the women are in this culture, and how like talked Even down they like, are. Way more heroic than the men. Mm, they attack they a tank no, with stones. They have no weapons, and they're the mm. ones that stopped the tank. Again, they have no weapons. They have what they can find mm-hmm. and what they can, whatever materials they can use. And in this case, they had the grenades that they found. 
and were able to stop the tank. Like they're the heroes in this moment because they're the ones that caused the tank to be fucked. Yeah. And even at the end, the lead woman, she got in trouble for killing um, the guy, the leader guy. Mm -hmm, Yeah. (laughs) That's something. Daskal. Yeah. Daskal. Daskal. Anyways, I never, I can never pronounce names. It's fine. But, um, but they're like, it's as if they got no credit for it. And then when Mm -hmm. she like, they go after them, they're shocked as the fact that they murdered somebody like, hold on a second. These women were in the village when it all happened. Uh, the one woman watched her husband get crushed by a tank. Yeah. Their entire, like, shock at the beginning. Like, the one woman who's uh, leaning against the building and the guy gives the baby. It's like, here, you're the mother now. Mm. Like, like you could see how much they're in shock and how angry they are and how, like, they're trying to do whatever they can. But they're still kind of being ignored. Yeah. Um. I think this is the reason I kind of really enjoy this movie was because there's a lot of like stuff you don't think of. Like I remember uh, after, after nine 11 happened there, my sister had this interview or journal or news report. I can't remember what it was about, but it was the a news reporter ended up in Afghanistan and was like recording the things that happened in the villages, like from all the, the war and torn cities and stuff. Mm-hmm. And or sorry, the villages, and you saw the exact same shit you saw in this movie. So, yeah. like, the burned skulls, the squished bodies, the, like, m- babies that have no mothers anymore, the burnt houses, like, or in the burnt, or the buildings being thrashed. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff was literally as if I was watching the reporter, or, like, that movie that I, or that report that I saw as a little kid. Yeah. It's very similar. So, th- you can tell this person had firsthand, like, viewed these things firsthand. And, in this movie, you see how strong these females are and you see how the men are so dismissive, which again is not something you usually think of. And you don't Mm. see the women put up a fight because this is how they're just treated. It's normal. It's natural. It's kind of like what they're used to. So even though they are a big part of it, they're not treated as equals still. You notice, you notice they, they, they are very dismissive of this bullshit male honor code that is yeah. uh, here because this whole idea that if your enemy asks for forgiveness, then you take him in and shit. And they're like, fuck this. This is the guy who literally drove the tank over my husband. I'm going to throw a stone at his face. Like that, that, that is their thought is like, yeah, more power to you, sister. You should have killed that motherfucker and they should have let you kill that motherfucker. But yeah, you do see it. Like I I really love about this film is that they they show it very clearly. That's what's happening. And that's really bad. And at the same time, they still like, this is 1981. Reality is these women are not going to be heard. No. And they're going to be dismissed at the end. So it shows that. But at the same time, it doesn't treat the women in the movie with any disrespect. And like it no. actually gives them, uh, you know, actually do. It yeah. shows how much harder they have to fight. Like that was the biggest thing. It showed how fucking tough they were and how much harder they had to fight in order to be able to fight. Like mm-hmm. they were, like you said, uh, they attacked a tank. While all the males had ran and everyone was hiding, they ran at the tank. And the one woman literally just stayed there as uh, they threw the. the it was, it was like, kind of- uh, I think it was like mustard gas or something, because it was something yeah. that it was something that outright killed her. 
Yeah. So and she stayed to the end. Like she yeah. refused to leave. And they were all like screaming for her. And she's like, no, like I'm going to like bitter end, I'm gonna fight. Yeah. And um you could see, you could see the women were stronger than the men, but the women didn't have anything to be able to help them. The one thing I do have to say, you can kind of see the hatred that's built up. So in this case, you see a country. Yeah, you see a country. You see a person like from a country and you say this person must die. As much as everything that happened, like the situation is this guy was forced to do what he had to do. So showing mm-hmm. him mercy actually helped because they were able to like get revenge um, yeah. with Constantine versus had they killed them. It would have been a lot more difficult. Yeah. And with that, it kind of shows the empathy. So I'm mixing up names now, but Khan not gone. Um, uh, Taj, Taj. Akbar Taj, yeah. Yeah, Taj. Um, because other people in him or within that group wanted to murder him as well. But mm-hmm. he showed empathy because he's like, hold on a second. If they threw him out here to die, there must be a reason for it. And that kind of took a little more thought. There's a little side story here of Taj, like doubting whether he's worthy of being Khan. And like he's talking to his uncle, who's kind of his mentor, who's saying, you will be Khan. This is your test, basically. Mm-hmm. And Taj shows that he has intelligence and, you know, he's got savvy. He's He's got empathy and he kind of realizes like he, he's got more forethought than any of his compatriots do, yeah. especially like his cousin, who's like, you know, super Muhajin, who's he's wearing sunglasses the whole time. He thinks he's a fucking rock star, basically, you know, fighting this war kind of bullshit. And but Taj is like the real deal who, you know, could be an important leader kind of thing, you know, who could actually like lead his people to something a, a bit better because he's actually smart. This, this movie is so impressive how intricate it is and how deep it actually is, you know, beneath the surface when really it's it's really just just this chase movie between this, this group of, of fucking guerrilla fighters and this tank at the end of the day, like it, 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 it works as both that and as like a deeper kind of study into the war and the cultural differences and just the yeah. horrors of it all. And it shows, it shows or how heavily the, the hate is based on the country. So mm-hmm. at one point when all the pilots are dead because they drank the water, they said, "This I hate Afghanistan. Yeah. They're the ones that poisoned the water. Yeah. They're the assholes. It's not the Afghanis who did it. It was the Americans who did it. Or not the Americans, the Russians who did it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's just, it just shows it. It shows. Like, it just shows the development, like how the military makes you hate other countries uh, mm-hmm. in this sense. Like in this, they say, if they're Afghanistan, they're bad. Because then they have, like, that's how they show the whole, all the tanks going into the village. It didn't mm. matter that there was kids and children and wives and husbands and whatever, families just living. Nothing, like, they literally had nothing uh, that they could do against the military. Yeah. And they just ran through them. Like, it's, this is what you're supposed to do. You hate the Afghanis. You're going to kill them. Yeah. And it was the same with, on the other side, with those who survived and retaliated, it was, if you're Russian, we hate you, we're going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So it was really nice to see Taj in that moment of saying, hold on a second, this guy might actually be helpful versus uh, go against us. Because if he, his own country hates him, he might be trying to help us or want to help us. Mm-hmm. So I remember bringing this up before with one of the other podcasts, but a big thing that a lot of 
countries will do is that they'll try to prevent education. Mm-hmm. So if their people are not educated, they just kind of follow along with what uh, the government has to say and like yeah. a kind of like what the military has to say. So it's very brainwashed. Like you've seen the, the ads for the military. I've got nothing against people who are in the military. I know a lot of great people who are intelligent. That's nothing against it. It's just, you see it. It's the States. I see it a lot, not so much Canada, but it's very much a, be proud, be military, be whatever. It's very making you uh, very patriotic mm-hmm. and uh, not ask questions. It's yeah. just, you're going to follow these rules. We're going to tell you to do something and you're going to ask no questions. And you're really not going to have any empathy because you're not really, you've never really learned that. Like it's basically taking people who have nothing and being like, Hey, we're going to take you. For the most part, like especially. It's bad now though. I well, don't see that as often. I mean, especially in the last, you know, I guess this is basically in the news now, basically, you know, last 20, 30 years in the Middle East. What was the what was the U.S. military doing They're They're bringing in young kids, 19 year old kids and shit like that, putting them on the front lines in like Kabul and places like that, Kandahar, whatever, and just throwing them in the shit. And how are they not going to be jaded by stuff like that when they're like emotionally immature? They're not, you know, they're tec- not even fully developed. Exactly. They're technically adults by, you know, legally, although, you know, they still can't drink, but they're thrown into that shit. People are trying to kill them. How can they not be brainwashed into hating everything about that fucking place? Like it take, it takes a real empathetic, mature person to be able to like hold their head up above that shit and actually see, you know, the, the forest from the trees kind of deal. But a lot of them don't end up doing that. And it's just good soldier. Ask no questions and just go in there and, and hate your enemy and not, you know, understand the actual social and political situation that's that's in that country. Like you see so many fucking videos leaked out on YouTube and stuff of young soldiers just being abusive, bullying pieces of shit to the local culture. And like, yeah, I, I get it. There's enemy soldiers embedded everywhere, but at the same time, they're abusing, raping, killing, murdering people. Innocent you know, people. In, that's inno- innocent. Yeah, innocent, innocent people, people without any due process or anything like that. They're just doing it. and Because they're told, go into this village and destroy it. Yeah. Here's here's whatever. Don't make sure there's no survivors because they might be enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what the scary part is, because even if it is somebody who is intentions is not any sort of hatred, which is most of the times in like these small villages, you're just creating more hate because that's all they know. Mm-hmm. All they know is like, oh, my town can't really develop because every time we rebuild it, it gets destroyed again. And yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's like it's like what are what are the kids in the town going to think? You know, the the kids that, you know, especially you know, this is set in the nineteen eighties. The kids in these fucking villages in the nineteen eighties grow up, and all they know is that their moms, their dads, their cousins, their uncles, and shit were murdered mm-hmm. by a bunch of fucking soldiers from a different country. And so, what 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 do they know other than? Hate. We're always we're always being attacked, and you need to hate your enemy. And 
you, they just get radicalized. Like there, there's no there. It feels like there's no fucking way out of that shit. And it's it, it's it's hard. It's hard to be a thing to talk about. You know, when we're lucky enough to like live in a country mm-hmm. where that shit doesn't really happen, especially to you know privileged fucking white people like us. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> but we're it's sitting in our cozy apartments, like yeah. And you know, it's it's just a totally different world. And but these it's sad. These are the movies that we need to see. These are the movies that we kind of. It needs to be brought into our lives because we can't just live in this like pretty little box to think, uh, oh yeah, everything's great, everything's fine. I know the fight for uh, gay rights and women's rights are something that are constantly talked about. And the only reason we know about that is because of movies that are like these and like media that goes out, like journalists Mm -hmm. that actually go out and like do interviews with these people. Like the one movie that we watched, I can't remember the name of right now, that was really intense. Uh, The documentary one. Oh, uh, the art of killing was it yes yes yeah like that one that one like literally blew both of our minds and it's all the stuff like that that really shows us what's going on so that's why i have this massive appreciation that this was brought to our attention because first of all 1988 still relevant like a lot of the stuff is still relevant and it's just an older movie that kind of got shoved under the rug because there mm-hmm. was like bigger blockbusters that were out that were bigger and better and kind of showed we're America. We're great. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not saying that it's an American or promoting anything or anti anything American. It's just kind of shoving the bad news under the rug and bringing forth. We're awesome. We're badass. military uh, or war is awesome. Like that kind of shit. Yeah. You see, and, and that that's interesting too, because the director here, Kevin Reynolds, he, he did some writing too, right? Like, mm-hmm. and he, did like one of the first drafts of uh, Red Dawn. Have you ever seen Red Dawn? I haven't, but I have heard of it. Uh, so Red Dawn, the way it ended up being is um, very gignostic, pro-American shit. And it's the Russians with the help of like Cubans and stuff fucking invade America and and, and take it over and, kind of, and shit like that. And so you got these like a little group of American kids basically who, um, you know, the local fucking jocks and shit in, in, in a small American town become the rebels. They fight, you know, behind enemy lines, uh, trying to take out Russian targets and stuff like that. And like the original concept of that was to make it more actually like this movie, mm-hmm. where it's like much more about the consequences of war, much more how uh, unprepared, much more, you know, civilized, quote unquote, fucking laid back, relaxed, safe countries are not prepared for actual war as compared to like say europeans and middle eastern people and stuff like that who've had nothing but war throughout the centuries and they're in their fucking cultures and their history so this, this movie does just a fucking great job of mm-hmm. both being kind of a tense psychological kind of action movie with you know like this chase but at the same time, like really hitting on some great points and highlighting stuff that you would not see highlighted anywhere else in the 1980s, basically. Yeah. It just, it also just showed like what happens when these people have their backs against the walls, like what they're going to do. Cause mm-hmm. how, how can you feel hate towards people who just watched their village get destroyed and now yeah. they're going after them? Like, I don't even understand. I would be furious. Like it would, I can totally understand, like, I can totally justify their actions, especially since, like, the women had rocks. Mm -hmm. That's what they used as their weapon is rocks. 
that's all they had. It's 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 funny they they use ro- they use you know smaller rocks against the tank earlier on, and when they finally do disable the tank, basically, is when they use grenades to bring down bigger rocks on the actual tank, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, when you saw the rocks coming and you see the women, you're like, yeah, bitch. Mm-hmm. You knew it was you ladies. Uh, it, 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 it rocked. <laughs> it was... <laughs> it was uh, okay, so um, besides the whole story, I, I, I don't want to forget to bring this up. I honestly think also the cinematography was pretty good in this one too. Mm-hmm. For being very basic, I found one, um, it was very easy, like it's a very easy scenery to get lost in, like disoriented in, but yeah. you didn't feel that way. So the way they did the camera and the angles and all that stuff and the intense moments I think was brilliantly done. Mm-hmm. It really kind of gave you that, like the scenery itself kind of gave you this hopelessness. So every time something happened, whether it was on the Russian side or the Afghan uh, Afghan side, there was always these moments of just complete helplessness and hopelessness. And it was emphasized by this desert, like just mm-hmm. how they used it and how they did it. And uh, the same with just showing the angles and just showing the space, like how yeah. vast and lost you get. Uh, again, it's just something that's so simple, but easily could have made this movie look like kind of cheesy and bad. But mm-hmm. because it was really well done, it was very captivating. Like it, it was is, very it, good. It is, it is extremely cinematic as well. You're right. Um, this was mostly shot in Israel, by the way. And so like all the sort of like Soviet equipment and stuff you see is actually kind of like uh, stuff that the Israelis actually had basically. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we, I think we kind of said, all we kind of need to say about the film is as far as like our praise of it. I, unless you have anything else to say, like, I, okay. I, think- I have one more thing I want to say. Okay. <laughs> All I want to mention is that you could totally tell it was like a late eighties, early nineties movie because of the mm-hmm. music. Like- yeah. It's, it's very, um, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's very sense heavy. Uh, <laughs> like the, the trailer, as soon as you play the trailer, there was one mm-hmm. part with the music. I was like, Oh God, that just dates it right there. It does. Like, that, bit, is yeah. like, that is like iconic then. Like that is like literally eighties and early nineties. Like you're just like, Oh yeah, I recognize that music. <laughs> this, uh, like in, in, I, I like uh, 80s like synth uh, soundtracks, but at the same time, I, I, I especially like them when they're like the very top tier ones like Vangelis and Tangerine Dream. And this is not Vangelis or Tangerine Dream, but it's still pretty good. But it, it is noticed. It is something. It's actually the thing that kind of dates the movie more than anything else. I, I yeah. do agree. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I think we both give highest recommendations for this film. This this is going to be my best of the year list uh, when we when we do that at the end of the year because uh, this is really fucking good. So uh, again, thank thanks Nick for suggesting this one. This was a this was a pleasant surprise. As as you know, disturbing as the subject matter is. Yeah, yeah. we need to be exposed to these movies though. Like these are the ones that people should watch. Like they're heavy to watch, they're hard to watch, but absolutely, it's it's a slap in the face. Like it's a, a reality check. Like. Everyone's talking about being fucking woke nowadays because mm. of like vaccines and shit. No, no, watch this kind of shit. Like, don't don't fall into <laughs> misinformation. Fall into like actual shit that really affects the world. Yeah. Uh, so, just two trivia points here. I'll get into. Uh, so, the tank used in the film is an authentic Soviet T fifty five captured by the Israeli Defense Forces during the Arab Israeli Arab Israeli conflicts. Although it was modified by the Israelis and redesignated as a uh, TI-67, 
and f- uh, fitted with a 105 millimeter main gun in a place of the original 100 millimeter gun. Film's military advisor Dale Dye said that he negotiated the purchase of the tanks over drinks with a re- Israeli Defense Force officers in, tel- in a Tel Aviv hotel. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> The fire commands, the terminology used by the tank crew in combat are the same as used by U.S. Tank, uh, Army tank crews. Uh, this was to add military, military flavor to the movie and give it a very re- realistic feel. The Hungarian version of the movie corrected much of these errors and added authentic Warsaw Pact jargon and commands. So it would be much more, you know, the Soviet side of things. Interestingly, the tank commander repeatedly calls shrapnel shells Kartax, which is an outdated word for grape shot. Mm. And like there, there is talk of like the different uh, rounds they use so like they got like heat rounds and they got fucking frag rounds and that would be like the grape shot I guess uh, rounds would be the frag rounds um, used for you know shooting at uh, actual uh, people uh, budget for this was 8 million box office was 161,004 dollars and that just goes to show you that they buried this like this movie had no fucking chance they released it in two theaters for a limited run, and they just wrote this off. They're like, okay, we got the money to write this off, I guess, so we're just going to do it. It's unfortunate. Um, it's very unfortunate, because I think, I think this movie actually probably would have done f- – it might have not made back its $8 million budget, but I think it probably would have done fairly well, because it's just actually a legit, really good fucking movie. And, I mean, you know, it's no Rambo 3, where it's Rambo, you know, like – Sucking the dick of the Afghani fighters and like America, yeah. but it's you know it, it's it's America, fuck mm, exactly. That's what Rambo Three is, America, <laughs> fuck yeah. Um, releases for this, there, there's some DVD releases. I don't think there's a Blu-ray out there. Uh, it's on iTunes, Google Play, Microsoft Play, Amazon Prime, Vudu, and Movies Anywhere. And there's some illicit sources as well that you can find it on. Uh, the the source we used is like the player is in Farsi, and I could not find a way to like get the text to English on the Farsi player. So, but thankfully the subtitles were still in English. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so just as a, a heads up to anybody watching this, this is not the movie. <laughs> mm. <laughs> There's no movie at the end of this. Exactly. No, I mean. <laughs> Although we should have told them beforehand. I just thought of it now. (laughs) They're going to get to this point like, when's the movie going to start? What the fuck's happened? You know, you have the the warning at the beginning. That's that's literally what you need to have now is this is not the movie. This is a podcast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is going to have no video. It's literally voices. So unless you want us to do the voice acting of like the whole movie, you're not getting the movie here. I'm actually seriously considering making that for the YouTube version of this fucking podcast, putting it in because I know I fucking know there's going to be people who are still going to complain. They're going to sit, they're going to press play. The first thing that's going to tell them is this is a podcast. The movie is not here. You need to go buy the movie or rent it or find it in some other place other than YouTube where I will not get a copyright strike because I tried to upload the fucking movie. You fucking dumb fucks. And they're still going to complain. Where's the movie? You know, it's going to fucking happen. 
Well, so, they're going to they're gonna click on it and they're just going to like fast forward through it to see and then they're going to be like, mm-hmm. oh, this is not the movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm making fun of all you fuckers out there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, so next weekend, we're not going to be doing a podcast because it's going to be working. <gasps> How dare you? I know. Uh, it's going to be a busy week for me work-wise next week. So, uh, And I don't even work next Saturday. Damn it. It's like the first time I have a Saturday off and like... Oh, I don't even know how long since the restaurant uh, opened again. I guess you're going to hang out. I guess you're going to have to hang out with our other friends. That's going to be lame. Oh, my God. Do I know other people? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I technically I should be off at four in the morning okay. Saturday night. So we should still be able to like have some hangout time. But people don't need to know about that. What, what, <laughs> what, why are we telling us our, our personal business on a fucking podcast? Uh, but... Um, I do have an idea for what our next episode is going to be. I, I need to get in talk, contact with our uh, friend Vaughn, who is on our Jabberwocky episode, because uh, I think we're going to make that happen. Uh, he, he wanted to be on an episode for this movie that we're going to do. So, uh, oh, was it by being surprised? Uh, no, I'm going to. I'm not going to surprise okay. anybody. Actually, I'm, I'm just going to say the next episode is uh, tentatively it's going to be uh, Siege. Which Ooh. is a Canadian-made movie from the 1980s, early 1980s, Ooh. which is a uh, exploitation movie that's set in my home province uh, of Nova Scotia. It was during the Halifax police strike, uh, and it, it's basically set during that time. It actually has the only known news footage that still remains of covering that strike in the opening to sort of set the tone of the movie. And it goes some interesting places. It's a, uh, it's a fun movie. So uh, we probably going to do that. And uh, yeah, look for that in like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so lady Lee, where can people find you on the interwebs? Uh, you got anything you need to plug or anything like that? Uh. So I am now trying to stay up to date again. It's going to fall again, but whatever. At the moment, if you want any updates of when we are or when the new podcasts come out, uh, check me out uh, on Instagram at Mighty Tiny All Star. Mm-hmm. So whenever we have any of the really or any of the podcasts come out, I will post. And there's a link on my profile. Go check it there, and all that jazz. Yeah. Uh, and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, or you can find our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links. Go to the Facebook group, uh, join that, and that's kind of the best place to find out what's coming up on the podcast and you know interact with us, give us a movie request that we'll do like three years down the road, like we did this one tonight. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's we'll do you know, better. Yeah, we'll do better. I, I mean, I can't promise that. We will do better. <laughs> I'm just going to yell at you now. I'm just okay. going to ask you every weekend. Be like, do we have any requests that we need to do first? All right. So, yeah, Lee's going to check me now. She's going to keep <laughs> me on the ball, I guess. Uh, we'll see what happens. That, that that might work out to our benefit or it just might <laughs> fall apart. We'll, we'll, we'll But... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, uh, thank you, Lee, uh, for joining me, and thank you all for listening. Um, we love you all, and we'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.
You have been listening to Cape Shit. That's not the right one. <laughs> you are no. <laughs> That's not the right one either. Okay, I'm just ending it. on site. For further episodes, our Apple Podcasts, Facebook, and YouTube links, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.